As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and yes, sportsman drag racers. Big Jed, how are you? Luke, I'm well. I'm really well. Man, it's uh, racing season is here. It's upon us. It's given us stuff to talk about. We're, we're both actually getting on the track now and, and getting to do some of that as well. So this is, uh, this is prime time for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. And then you, you add something that we love and, uh, and March Madness in it. It just really doesn't get much better. It gets better, Luke, but it don't get much better. It don't get much better. It does not get much better. It's prime time. I like the way you frame that. We have a big show on tap. As per usual, Big Jet, hope our listeners have come to expect a, a big show week in and week out. Uh, we're going to breeze through some brief results from last week, some standout stories from the world of sports and drag racing, basically all over the country. Uh, we are going to provide an update on our March Madness bracket as we transition into the final four. But all of that will lead up to a great discussion with co-promoter of the Bottom Bulb Explosion. That's the richest bottom bulb race in the history of the state of Kansas. Co-promoter John Moggins. John and I have uh, combined to put that race on. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but more so just talk about the bottom bulb landscape in general. Uh, Big dollar racing between John and obviously yourself, Big Jed. Uh, We've got two really, really uh, insightful voices as to what we could expect in from that form of racing and that racing community, uh, what we've seen going forward, and, and I think what we can expect uh, in the future. 
Yeah, it was really good discussion. Um, you know, certainly some hot topics and some general opinion. And, and then uh, I think we, we will hit on what's uh, really cool about the bottom bulb explosion. So we kind of wrap it all up in a, in a discussion with John, you know, just talk about a little bit of everything bottom bulb. So uh, if you're a bottom bulb fan, you'll love that. And if you're just a racing fan in general, this show is going to be really fun for you because it's got some everything too. So uh, looking forward to this one and, and listeners, this is not going to be one of our longer shows. So if you enjoy a little bit shorter um, show, then, then this is going to be the one for you. So stay with us all the way to the end because you'll like it. We're talking trans breaking off the bottom. We're talking foot breaking off the bottom. We're talking electric cars. We're talking random pairing. We're talking hand throttle controllers. We're talking about how you can't win a 20 grander unless you've got an S10 and you are a member of one of the, the most illustrious racing families in history. We're talking about how you can't win in North Carolina if your name's not Corey Galletti or Kevin Brandon. All that and much more. But first, PJ North. Luke, good to uh, get the opportunity to talk some more racing with you this week. You're uh, you're still out on the West Coast or somewhere out there racing and having your your ten week run. And you know we've got uh, racing going on basically a little bit everywhere right now. And uh, we've got some NHRA stuff, got some bracket stuff. So it'd be good to to chat about that with you. But first and foremost. Tell us a little bit about where you are. I want to hear a little bit more about that right there because I, I see you on camera and you're you're bundled up, bud. I'm actually in the same location as I was the last time that we spoke, Jed. I'm, I'm here at uh, Verde. I, this, I get this wrong every time. Camp Verde Resort. It's an RV park in, uh, in Camp Verde, Arizona. Uh, we liked it so much last week. We went and raced at Phoenix. And uh, we liked it so much we had to come back. It's not really on the way to Las Vegas, but it's close enough. Um, To your point, the Wi-Fi here at the Camp Verde Resort limited. And uh, the Wi-Fi is much better up here at the clubhouse than it is at our particular RV spot. So I'm here at the clubhouse. The problem is it's cold and it's rainy today. So there's a lot of people in the clubhouse. It's not really conducive to a podcast uh, recording <laughs> so i'm actually sitting outside the clubhouse and um uh, it's it's in the upper 40s i believe um if you could i don't know if the listener can notice probably i sound a little nasally a little stopped up might have something to do with the fact that the high on sunday when we were racing in phoenix was 97 and now it's in the upper 40s but all things considered we're doing great man yeah, you do sound a little roughed up. You're, you know, you're bundled up. You're out there living the dream, uh, racing, having a great time. But sound like you're dealing with uh, pretty much the the extreme ends of condition. I don't guess it's the worst of cold conditions, but it's cold enough, especially when you just went through 97 degree temps. But yeah, it's not so much the cold as it is the contrast. I know there are people listening that are going 47. My God, I'd love to be in 47 degree weather. So I get it. Um, and Jed, I know you were at a race that was a, a much bigger event last weekend than, than what we were at, but just briefly, we were at wild horse pass, uh, motorsports park last week. It was just a two day, like their summit super series race. We went so that Gary could run junior directors. I don't know if you saw the Facebook post, my youngest Jack 
he got to race his first his first on track experience last weekend. It was about the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. I did see the big wheel uh, getting some support, some staging support from the old man, and uh, that was that was really cool. I I'd like to hear a little more about that for sure, but that that looked like a lot of fun. It was entertaining to say the least. So they actually like kudos to it's probably like a really a division seven wide thing, but it's, it's far different from what we're used to big jet in that the junior director program is really well supported. You know, that runs with the regular program. They run um, junior street, which is the 13 to 16 year olds that get an adult ride and co-pilot, like in a regular street driven car that was fairly well supported. And just to make sure that there are no kids left behind, if you're not old enough to race junior dragsters, you can enter the big wheel class which was fun. And it had like a dozen kids that were whatever, I guess, age two to five or six. And they raced big wheels. You staged up, you got a tree, scoreboards worked, raced to 60 foot fast as you can go. Um, it was fun. It was cool. It looked like a good time. And, and based on what I read on Facebook, you guys did not take a big wheel on your trip. So they, this caused a, a real quick trip to the local big wheel shop we procured a, a big wheel at about what well, was closing time at target friday night uh kudos to, to debbie dolezal she put this all together we had no idea what we were getting into we would have been completely unprepared we would have had a big wheel race that did not include our son were it not for debbie she got it all hooked up she found us a big wheel um actually had someone at the track that as you would expect big jed racers are racers right so there are levels to big wheels like the 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 prime piece of equipment is not the target big wheel by any stretch of the imagination like you can get pretty tricked out <laughs> and we were offered a very tricked out one unfortunately it was more for a five-year-old than a three-year-old and jack could not push the pedals we would have been much more competitive on the on the tricked out version it just just didn't work out we, we had, had all the seat adjustment and all of the phone books i could muster we still couldn't do it so we had to go back to the 15 inch wheel uh target setup <laughs> well all in all although it wasn't as competitive as the big wheel as you wanted to have with you it is still great to see that little jack got his first racing experience and i'm sure that enhanced your experience as well as jessica's and and i'm sure uh gary bear liked to like to watch little brother get after it too he was jack was as fired up as i've ever seen him like he is he is a junior dragster racer in training i mean he's been saying for years he's like I get a junior, our, our rule is eight years old, right? So I get a junior when I eight. I said, yeah, you'll get a junior when you're eight. Well, I'll be eight. Like you got to turn four first, buddy. I know, but I'll be eight. So <laughs> he was pretty fired up for a chance to get on the track. It was fun. Well, he ain't wrong. He ain't wrong at all. He <laughs> will be eight. So we'll go from big wheels to big performances, Luke, and one Greg Stanfield smoking hot right now. The two, the Stanfield family, Big Jed, they just keep winning. So we had a Division Four event, Noble Oklahoma. If you remember, at the Division Four opener in Belrose, your reigning Superstock World Champion, Greg Stanfield, drove to a runner-up finish. Well, he just kept winning. He he won Superstock again at Noble over the weekend. And what's better is uh, he was part of a family winner circle. Son Aaron 
doubled up with him. So we had Greg get the win in Superstock, Aaron get the win in Top Dragster. Yeah, the same Aaron Stanfield that won Pro Stock just a few weeks ago uh, got it done in Top Dragsters. Mr. Versatile, Stanfield family keeps doing what they do. One other note, and we, don't, we aren't going to spend a ton of time on, on recent results, kind of hit the high points so that we can get uh, John Moggins on here and, and, and really get to the gist of this episode. But one other note that I wanted to share from Noble was obviously we're well aware of the prize pool that Roger Brogdon has put together for competition eliminator in division four yet again. In fact, he upped the ante this year. It's $100,000 to win the division four championship courtesy of Roger Brogdon, Roof Tech and Owens Corning. And, and I think it was inevitable, Jed, it's been inevitable for the last year or so that that, 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 prize money that allure is going to hook in some of the biggest names in competition eliminator uh, noble was no exception it was the first race of the season for one jeff taylor yeah that jeff taylor three-time nhra world champion multi-time class winner legend of the sport jt jeff taylor jeff taylor is claiming division four this year i assume that has something to do with that hundred grand and Jeff Taylor rolled into Noble and picked up the event win. So not only is Jeff Taylor claiming division four, Jeff Taylor is going to be a force to be reckoned with to get that six figure payday. Yeah, that's probably not what the class wants to see. Uh, Jeff Taylor and, and, and people like Jeff Taylor coming into their category. I mean, obviously this guy has gone fast plenty, so that's comfortable for him. He has hit the bottom plenty. That's comfortable for him. He's just a, an excellent racer, a great talent, and certainly a guy that uh, when he sets his mind to whatever class he's running, he is generally very, very, very competitive within it. So I don't assume a competition eliminator will be any different, and he'll be a force to be reckoned with, as you said, and certainly that 100K is is probably the the number one reason why he's doing it. And Division Four for him, you know, this guy runs all over the country, doing things so i don't imagine that's going to be a logistical challenge that he can't overcome so gonna be really interesting to see um see how he changes the outcome of that uh, championship whether it's him getting it or him uh, keeping someone from getting it whatever the case may be but he'll definitely be a threat as you said no question a couple of uh big dollar bracket races in your neck of the woods big jed you want to start montgomery or do you want to start huntsville well, we'll start in Huntsville. Um, uh, Huntsville Dragway had, I don't remember the name of the, the event, uh, Luke, but it was, a, it was basically a couple of 20 granders. They might have called that, it Big Dollar Bracket Race. Yeah, it might have been something. It was something big. But a couple of 20 granders, and it paid extremely well. It was like 20 to win, 10 runner-up, 5 in the semis. You know, there was there were 70 grand there for the semis on for two days. So it was uh, it was a significant payday for someone. And uh, it was a, you know, a relatively inexpensive entry fee. I think 400 got you in both days. So it was going to take a lot of cars to make this work financially. And it was guaranteed. Unfortunately, uh, they did not get a very good crowd and. It was a bad enough crowd that I think there was a general consensus between the racers and everyone that it was best this thing get chopped a little bit to keep the, the track from taking a severe beating and, and one that, you know, 
could possibly have an impact on how they go about the rest of the season. So my understanding is everyone gathered up and come up with something fair. And uh, I believe it still paid extremely well for the crowd they had. And my understanding was it was a little over 100 total entries, Luke, and they probably needed 300. So didn't work out very well. But nonetheless, um, if you were driving an S10 and you were part of a legendary family in uh, sportsman or bracket racing, apparently you had a really good opportunity to, to go out there and get paid, as did one Mike Ledford on day one and Austin Richardson on day two. Um, those guys collected the big checks and by and large, everything I've seen, everyone was very much in support. The ones that were there were very much in support of how the purse was handled and uh, felt very happy with uh, the outcome of the event. So I think all in all, it went well, but not quite the way they intended. Gotcha. That's why we got you here, Big Jed. You, you get to bring the hard-hitting insight. All I knew was that Mike Ledford and Austin Richardson won. You, you got the details. Well, as details, you hate to report because nobody wants to see that type of stuff happen in, in our sport. And, you know, it's you would think, OK, well, there's the first indication that that big buck bracket races are going to have some challenges this year based on, you know, inflation and fuel pricing and a lot of things that we know are impacting everyone, whether you race or not. Well, you, you go 200 miles down the road to Montgomery, where I was. And it was like they were giving away entry fees and, and paying people to be there. This place was absolutely slammed, wrapped up. It was Verge Motorsports uh, Index race, along with the first Glenn Smith Bracket Series event at Montgomery. And Luke, I don't know how many total entries were there, but, you know, it was 450 dragsters. It was 470 door cars, juniors, super pro foot brake. All of that was Saturday, and then Sunday had uh, just the bracket race scheduled. 7,500 to win each day. Um, really good purse, uh, good event for all those classes, and this place was slammed. Obviously, the 450 and 470 cars don't show up on open trailers with single cab pickups. So the big rigs were in town. They were burning some diesel fuel and some racing fuel and eating and having a good time. So you know, unfortunately for Huntsville, it didn't go very well. But again, 200 miles south of their indication was that people are going to go race and they're going to have to go going to go have a good time and enjoy themselves and compete. And it was a it was a great event. Um, Nick Ross got the win. Saturday's race spilled over into Sunday. Uh, my buddy Nick Ross got to win over Slate Cummins over Baby Gap. That was a, a really good uh, good race there for those guys to to wrap up Saturday's event Sunday. And, Luke, I don't know who won Sunday. It finished late, late Sunday night, and I have not seen an update on uh, online. So, unfortunately, I don't have those results. But foot break was uh, Ricky Pennington over Woody Adcock. And uh, Ricky's my cousin, and he made it to the final again for Sunday's event, getting uh, – bested by Lee Staggs, a local racer here from the Holiday Beach area. So it was a really good crowd again and a lot of great racing. 470 door car was Evan Hall over Jason Hutchison and 450 dragster was Chris Vanover over Sherman Adcock. So the Glenn Smith series got off to a great start and Glenn Smith's team got off to a great start. Imagine that. 
the uh the the verge motorsports deal like that's something that i don't think we've talked about necessarily on the show but that is a format that seems to be gaining a significant amount of traction as a as i don't know if it's an in-between necessarily from like nhra racing the bracket racing or maybe it's just a an alternative to big dollar bracket competition but the guys that i've talked to that have done that love it love the series love the structure and that deal seems to be growing pretty rapidly just since you were there for the listener that may not be familiar with the series tell us a little bit about how that works and and what it's all about well it's it's obviously self-explanatory on what the racers are trying to accomplish 470 door cars or a 470 index race off a pro tree and you see a little bit of everything in that, Luke. You see some guys with some serious power that run faster index races or maybe some top sportsmen that have them dialed back a little bit to go 470. You see some guys like my buddy Larry Martin that took a car that was going 540s and uh, threw a big block in it over the winter and a really big block and put some spray to it and got after it and qualified number two uh, with a 470 and his Camaro and a little bit of everything in between. It's really cool class. And I tell you, the, the work that's been done at Montgomery, Luke, is incredible. You will not believe that it's the same place you were just at in November when you get back there. Ben Willis and, and the ownership team there and the workers have done a phenomenal job. The 470 cars went down like crazy, like no problem whatsoever in the cool air in the warm air it was a really really good show and uh, those guys you know we we tend to pick a little bit at index racers sometimes because you know we think that that they're usually the ones that got beat up on sometimes in the bracket race you can go ahead and say it it's the guys that didn't bracket race yeah so they don't really know their bracket racing and they and they don't want to know their bracket racing but that's what they're doing they're just doing it off a pro tree and somebody else is picking their dial in. But nonetheless, uh, this group is very talented. And these guys had them dialed in. We're going all over that 470 number. You know, a couple under or a couple over was the norm. And then a lot of dead ons and, and one above. So really cool show. And then, you know, you had the 450 dragster, which is the same, uh, same thing. They're just uh, running on index and, as we know, there's a ton of those. Uh, there's, there's, you'll see a hundred guys going 450 at the big bracket races. So there was a large crowd of those, and it was super competitive, a really good racing side by side, which you know the fans enjoy. So all in all, it's a tremendous show. And when they go to really good racetracks that are prepared well and good and smooth, and these guys are going down through there and putting on a really good show and and you know, really accomplishing what, uh, what the, the Wallace family wants to do. And, uh, they're behind the Verge Motorsports thing and they, uh, they dream this up. And it, as you said, I think it's growing in popularity and certainly becoming something that a lot of tracks want to uh, see come to their place and, and bring all the fanfare and, and racers with it. Well, you said in the 470 class, you get to see a little bit of everything. And I'll tell you what you will not see. You will not see a buggy. I've been lobbying uh, for that, but I'm not. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not going to get anywhere. That's, that's, a, that's a roof and doors type of class only, unfortunately. But still, a lot of fun and fun to watch. I think, which is which is part of the intrigue, and obviously a lot of fun to compete in. And these guys are racing for serious money. 
They are. It's ten thousand dollars to win each class, and uh, you know a relatively inexpensive entry fee. When you consider there's no buybacks or any of that, the the entry fees do not pay the purse. Uh, they they don't collect enough to pay the purse, but um, certainly people want to come out and watch that, which helps. And um, the racers again are serious racers, talented racers, and they put on a really good show. So. All in all, it's uh, it's really seemingly accomplishing what uh, what the Walls family wanted to do when they built this up, and um, I'm hearing a lot of guys saying that everybody wasn't there at the first race, so they expect uh, you know another large crowd at the next event, and they'll go to really good racetracks and put on shows from Ohio to Alabama and everywhere in between. So if you get an opportunity, if you're listening to to go check out a Verge Motorsports event somewhere close to you by all means go do it you'll you'll really enjoy it guaranteed one other event from the weekend that i felt like we need to touch on at least briefly um before we uh, get into the meat of this episode is the loose rocker promotions uh, i believe it's called the door slammer pot of gold in piedmont last weekend yeah that was another great event by loose rocker team michael beard anthony walton have, have teamed up with piedmont and that combination of that promotion team and that facility just you know continue to put on really good races for the bracket racers and uh, those guys again accomplished just that this weekend where Corey Galitti um you know got in the got in the McCarty's wait wait I said it was a door car race yeah yeah he uh he left the dragster at home Luke he, he did jump on an airplane and come out it was it, weird for him I think um self-admittingly that he was closing a door behind him when he got in, but Corey did get in the McCarty's S10, the one that Trip typically races, and uh, kind of went crazy on those guys. Uh, got him two 10K wins, Luke. He got the first one of the weekend, and I saw the post and basically saying it's my first win in a door car or door truck, and it was really cool, and the dragsters for sale and all that, and everybody joking around having a good time, and then what does he do? He backs that up uh, with the, the last part of the bookend and gets another 10K win to wrap the event up. So he gets two 10K wins in uh, the McCarty Auto Parts S10. But in the middle of that, Luke, your old buddy and my old buddy, the rabbit, KB, Kevin Brannon, takes his Monza to a 20K win. This guy does it, long cars, short cars just like Corey Galitti is doing now. And uh, that, that talent rose to the top quickly. That was a, that was a star studded winter circle. And each time they had it and really proud for Corey and, and the McCarty family and KB for getting that big 20 K win. Yeah. So Galitti's wins bookend the weekend KB gets the 20. And by the way, the two races that Corey won, I think KB was in the quarters and the semis. I, I don't know who else was at Piedmont, but what were y'all doing? <laughs> yeah yeah those guys were getting after him for sure and turning on a lot of wind lights so it was good to see uh and again I, I heard a lot of great comments or saw a lot of great comments online from the loose rocker team and, and what they accomplished there so it looked like another great event by those guys and those uh those door car races we might be seeing a little more of uh of mr galitti now now that he's uh, collecting those big paydays, he, he thanked Tripp for staying home. Not sure why Tripp stayed home, but maybe uh, maybe Tripp will come back and take his ride back. Nonetheless, uh, it was good to see 
before he get those door car wins and uh, and good to see such a good crowd at Piedmont. I think they had another really good crowd as well. So that uh, again validates what I saw at uh, Montgomery, and I, I think so far uh, good races are are living very well with good attendance. So that's a that's a wonderful thing to see. All right, so. We're going to have John Moggins on in just a second. Obviously, that's the, the, the meat of today's show. Um, but before we do, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give a, a little bit of an update on our bracket games. As our listeners will remember, if you listened to last week's episode, um, we did our annual uh, kind of bizarre connection of something racing related to the NCAA men's basketball tournament. This year, our topic was the... Uh, most creative innovations in sportsman drag racing history. We came up with 16. We linked each of them to a team in the sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Well, obviously as we record, and at least if you're listening on Friday, as you listen, 16 has now been narrowed down to four big Jed, the four remaining teams that we have left. Well, the teams are Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Villanova, but obviously each of those are representing creative and innovative ideas in our sport do you want to roll through what we've got left yeah let's talk about that for sure uh obviously um you know as you mentioned the final four that are remaining you you got duke and uh, those guys are representing a a very innovative uh, thing in in bracket racing uh, something that really changed our sport forever and that's auto start so innovative and controversial Kind of like Coach K. <laughs> Just like Coach K. And for those of you that are basketball fans, again, as Luke talked about in the, the last episode, you know, Coach K is, is going out. This is his one song. This is his last year, 45 years at one school, an amazing record and a lot of accomplishments and winning as coach ever and all those things. So you either love them or you hate them. But this is definitely fun to watch for me. I, I don't really have an opinion one way or the other. So I'm enjoying watching the Duke Blue Devils continue on and, and try to get that championship for, for Coach K at the end. But as you said, that's somewhat controversial because it's a lot like auto start, Luke. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Right. You can find the flaws. You pick up power at auto start. But honest, like I said last episode, everybody that picks apart auto start never raced without it. <laughs> yeah, that's a real, really good point. Okay. Really good point. So the Duke Blue Devils representing Auto Start along the way, they've knocked off Texas Tech. That was digital dial boards. And Arkansas, which was our blue blocker sunglasses, Big Jed. Our blue blocker sunglasses were trying to make an upset bid to the Final Four, weren't they? They were trying to make a run at it, but, uh, you know, that team went about as far as they should have gone. That was a good team, but not one of the greats. So the blue blockers definitely um, ran their course, much like in real life. <laughs> I was surprised when the blue blockers knocked off the delay box in the, in the, in the gray and yeah. of innovations. That, that doesn't seem to coincide, but you get upsets every year, Big Jet. You get upsets every year. That's a really so, good point. The Duke Blue Devils will take on their arch rival, the North Carolina Tar Heels, in the Final Four. That's going to be epic. Coach K's swan song, and he's got to go through Carolina to get there. Now, Carolina, a bit of a throwback because, you know, that's what Carolina is. Carolina representing the fluid release trans break somewhere. Steve Cohen is smiling. He's not listening to this, but he's smiling, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> kind of like the four corners offense represented by North Carolina upset UCLA upset. So the fluid release trans break upset led bulbs. It's a dependent on your, on your generation, right? That's, that's a mild upset to maybe a surprising one. And then knocked off Cinderella St. Peter's, which was representing mulligans, you know, the any round buyback mulligan. And if we're going to be completely transparent, the St. Peter's Peacocks, had a much better run than Mulligan. Is that, is that what a peacock sounds like? I, I don't think a peacock sounds like that. That, sounded, that, that, sounded, that sounded kind of chickenish, maybe. I don't. <laughs> I understand the peacock's probably in the chicken family somehow, but do you have a better peacock? No, I don't. I don't. I really have no idea what a peacock sounds like, but I don't think that's it, Luke. But I could be wrong. Regardless. <laughs> that was that was quite a run in the Cinderella story, and um, you know the 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 Mulligans, not the Mulligans, the Mulligans. The Mulligans are coming up in just a little bit. The Mulligans are done. So, if they ever had a Mulligan race in Division One, it might be the Mulligans. <laughs> could could very well be. So we'll move on to Kansas, the 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 absolutest, most goodest truest blue blood there is i mean it's where the basketball was invented the only one uh, seed remaining in the tournament uh, james naismith uh, they're at kansas so those guys are representing the dial-ins loop which is as as pure as it gets for, for bracket room. racing it's 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 what started bracket racing where Kansas is what started basketball. So it made sense to tie those two together. And, and the dial-ins, as they should, are continuing to march on. Yeah, they were probably the most predictable Final Four team coming into the Sweet 16 weekend. They, uh, they had little trouble defeating the stutter boxes of Providence or the shoot-the-light Miami Hurricanes. Dial-ins, back to the core. Shouts to Peach Baskets. Dial-ins move on to the Final Four. Yes, dial-ins marching on as they should. And then last but certainly not least is uh, Villanova. And Villanova is, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're loving your Jay Wright, you know, uh, discussions that you continue to have. And this guy's just kind of business and getting it done. And Villanova continues to, uh, I guess, solidify their name as a contender. Uh, they, they had a little run, I don't know, maybe 25 years ago. And they went away for a while, but here in the last five, six years, Villanova has been an absolute terror. And these guys are, are really making a lot of noise and they're representing um, kind of a change in racing that, I don't know, seemingly brought racing back to where it is right now. I know that was not the sole thing, but door cars and dragsters running separate certainly was a was a very innovative move uh at the first spring fling in 2010 at bristol dragway so that's about 12 years old and that has changed the sport they actually did that this weekend at the glenn smith bracket series event at montgomery so that's something that's filtered its way all the way down to to some closer to local level racing so that's really cool but villanova's representing that that um part of our sport and um villanova luke they're they're bad news i mean these guys they ain't a whole lot of fun to watch unless you just like stingy defense and and slow play but 
they're really good at what they do. The thing is the Villanova of like four or five, six years ago was a lot of fun to watch because Jay Wright, who famously is the, the Dave triplet of NCAA basketball. It's not the other way around. Right. <laughs> Jay Wright, who we noted last episode, sat back and said, you know, threes are better than twos. You get more points for shooting. We should shoot more threes. Kind of similar to Kyle Seipel sitting back saying, you know, more door cars might come if they didn't have to race dragsters. That's Villanova. So Villanova won the spring fling game, right? That we kind of, we, we previewed that last week. It was door cars and dragsters run separate, represented by Villanova over True Start, represented by Michigan. Then they fought off those sandbagging bastards from Houston, the Houston Cougars representing sandbaggers because somebody came up with that idea at some point. So that's our final four, Big Jed. we got Villanova representing door cars and dragsters run separately. Kansas representing the, the initial idea, right? The peach basket idea, if you will. Dial-ins. North Carolina representing the fluid release trans break. And your Duke Blue Devils representing auto start. Do you have a prediction in mind for the masses? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with the sentimental pick in Duke. Um, North Carolina really destroyed those guys in the ACC tournament and the championship game. And I think um, there's a lot of motivation there to, to get that win. And I think North Carolina is their biggest hurdle um, left. If they get by that, I think they'll cruise in the championship game. So I'm going to pick Coach K to go out on top and, and the dial-ins. Um, I mean, the auto start will uh, will just continue to march on and and be number one in our sport. And before you comment on that, Luke, I mean, look at this. Look at this final four. If you're a basketball fan, this is true blue blood basketball right here. This is this is really cool to see these teams uh, rising to the top this year. It is the bluest of blue. And as my eight year old pointed out, they they all have blue jerseys as well. Um I'm with you in that I don't think there is any chance that Coach K's last two games against North Carolina are going to be defeats. Somehow Duke's winning that game. But I'm throwing it back to the peach basket, man. I'm going to give dial-ins the edge. I, 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 think, I think Rock Chalk, maybe in honor of John Moggins coming on the show with us. No, he's, he's shaking his head. He is not a Jayhawk fan. All right. I'm taking Rock Chalk. Rock, Chalk, Jayhawk all the way. I'll, I'll say that in honor of Matt Driscoll because I know he is cheering on those Jayhawks. What better way, what better segue than to introduce the one, the only John Moggins to the show. John, how are you? Oh, I think I got you muted, John. Let's try that again. Oh, well, hang on just a second. My dumbass dog's outside. Got me now? We hold got on. you now. Hold on just a hey, second. Hey, big Jed, hold here on, you go. On. Peacock. Was he close? Oh, yeah. No, hell no. That wasn't even close. Uh, he he said, cock! Yeah. (laughs) That was a rooster. Hold on a second. I've been peacocking for two weeks and getting it all wrong. Play that again, John. Yeah. Okay, that's bad on me. (laughs) He only did it in front of a lot of people. All right, so joined now by John Moggins, uh, 
super successful racer, I guess mostly on the bottom ball, but, but successful racer all the way around. Uh, turn promoter a little bit more recently has had a, a ton of success in that. I guess uh, most notably for the purposes of this show, uh, John and I have come together to promote the Kansas bottom bulb explosion, which is coming to Mid-America Dragway just a month from now. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, I guess in, in leading up to it, just wanted to have a, an open discussion between myself to some extent, but I think more so Jed and John about big dollar bottom bulb racing, where it's going, where it's been, uh, what we see in the future, and maybe some of the, the hot button topics around that form of competition. So in Kansas, we don't have near the population that the other, the other states do for their big money races. So for us uh, to schedule these type of races, it has to be scheduled correctly where no other tracks are racing. Like you said earlier, you had all the cars at one track and not the other. So I tried to get this out as early as possible. And I contacted all the tracks around us and not one track scheduled on us. So I want to thank them for doing that because it doesn't work if you other tracks have races on the same time this has a race. Because there just ain't enough racers. Yeah, no question. I think that applies to any part of the country, but specifically in your region where there's let's be honest like there hasn't been a lot of races of this level really specifically bottom ball races but there's not a lot of big dollar bracket racing in that region to begin with topeka does a i think it's ten thousand, maybe a 20 the weekend before the divisional they do that one and it did okay last year but the problem is it's 100 degrees outside so then a lot of people don't like racing when it's hot around here you go to texas they don't care but around here people are pretty picky Give us a little bit of your background, John, for the listener that may not be uh, as familiar with you. Like, where did your passion for, I guess, racing in general, but specifically bottom bulb competition come from? And how has that transformed into, you know, putting on races of your own? Yeah, so my family raced when I was young. They got videos of me when I was a baby at the racetrack and um, just grew up watching the guy by the name of Kurt Butts. He's in, he's the, probably the best most winning bottom ball racer around here overall i grew up watching and learning a lot from him and he uh and then i just started racing when i turned 18 and been doing it ever since wasting a lot of money <laughs> and then we got to arc city my friends the maybriars bought mid-america dragway and i said hey would you guys be interested in having a big money race and i'll do all the work and you guys just you just have the track ready and we did it it's been successful for three years now we did a super pro race last year and it did well the track they've spent about 1.9 million dollars on and it's the the racing service is unbelievable the pits get a little work but they're nothing it's not horrible and i just love doing it i go with the jed's race the very first one the world footbreak challenge and it was just completely eye-opening the amount of racers the competition level and I just fell in love with the big money races then. Yeah, and I've seen you at, uh, at a few of those over the years. And um, not only are you uh, uh, now a successful race promoter, but you're, uh, you go to a lot of winter circle, John. You, uh, you're, you're a competitive racer yourself and have collected a lot of wind lights. So I'll ask you what I get asked a lot at, at events that I'm putting on. How difficult is it? to stand out there and watch what you love to do and not get to do it with them. 
Well, for me, the Midwest here, the, the, there's not the people around here don't get to travel very much, whether it's financially or just because they don't have time to go. I absolutely love watching people come from out of town and racing against our local guys and see who's going to win. I just find that I don't know why I find it so exciting, but I do. Yeah, well, I can understand that. Uh, you know, we we don't typically get a ton of local support at, at Bristol, but, you know, because of the it's it's a significant investment and some of that that rules some of the locals out. But I, I, I get completely what you're saying. I really do enjoy because, as you know, in bottom bulb racing, you got. Uh, all these pockets of racers geographically in a certain area. So everybody feels like their racers are the most talented and it's certainly the bottom bulb, you know, you've got that five or 10 from an area. So I enjoy watching those racers get after one another the, from the different regions of the country and scrap it out. And it, it's always fun to see who comes out on top. And, you know, after 15 years of what we've done now in our 16th, I can tell you they're darn good everywhere. And that certainly includes out there where you guys are about to hold an event. Yeah, it's uh, the, the level of competition in bottom ball racing, probably within the last five years, it's just got crazy, crazy good. It used to be you could have a 20, 30 light and you had the better light 90% of the time. Now it seems like if you're that, well, I guess you'd say late, you, you're second off the line and it just gets crazy how it's getting. Maybe uh, we get Luke back bottom balling again in the old Vega. He'd probably start dominating also. I think it seems like Jed and I had this discussion in, in recent weeks. There was a time when I thought I was pretty good off the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I've gotten a lot worse. <laughs> but, man, it seems like everybody else got a lot better. <laughs> yep. You see old Nick Hastings just go double over teen every round. He's those type of guys there's other people like that out there they just don't get the ability to travel like he does so i just love to see it happen i've been bugging him to come well well luke's definitely correct in that uh, he he hasn't his skills haven't diminished everyone's caught up to the the better racers and you think the cars are faster their own alcohol the converters are way better the suspension's all way better you know you don't have to run five and a half pounds in your slicks anymore you run ten and a half in them and the car moves when you hit the gas all those things combined allow our racer to react to the third bulb where when I started you was guessing you know they I've always said and when I started John there were five bulbs on the tree I don't know if you've ever heard of anything <laughs> like that but, uh, but when I started they could have unscrewed the fifth bulb and I still would have left in the same place and went you know what I don't know if I saw that fifth one come on or not but I left right where I was supposed to leave because you were guessing so all those things combined have led to people uh you know, improving their ability to, to hit the third bulb and be competitive. Yeah. You, um, uh, the foot brake deal, it just around here, foot brake is are just sportsman class. So when they go out East, those foot breakers, they're just at another level to me. It's, it's wild because we've had this conversation recently. Uh, we've had this conversation for years and, and we've revisited it recently here on the show, John, about how the, the delay box has kind of been the great equalizer, right? Just created so much parity and made, there's still a difference between the, the best racer at the track and maybe the, the, the greenest racer at the track, but that difference gets 
shrunk a lot, right? And, and it creates parity. But in saying that, like I, I'm wondering, and, and Jed, you may dispute this a little bit as well. It seems like, like if we remove the the Nick Hastings, maybe the the Lucas Walkers from the discussion, like I, I think Nick certainly, and maybe a handful of others, are just on a on a different level, right? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, there is a second tier, if you will, that is so much wider than what I remember. Because I think back to the days, like as a kid at Texas Raceway, where delay boxes were maybe just coming out a couple of people had them but even before that time when it got down to five cars it was like two hefflers two richardsons and jimmy paul every week right <laughs> it was just the same people dominate 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 delay boxes changed that but maybe i'm overlooking technology as a whole because to your point jed like that again if you separate maybe the nick hastings from the conversation um, there seems to be a lot of parity at, at, a, at a, a high tier, right? But it seems like that tier doesn't necessarily include half a dozen people. It feels like that tier includes hundreds of successful bottom bolt racers. Is that fair? Fair. Absolutely. There's no doubt um, what, what a lot of people would consider tier two is really close to tier one and gets to tier one seemingly when they really push the envelope and and try a little bit harder try something different but you know that that group of racers that number is is immeasurable because you know i think about so many people i think about guys like randy biddle jr that just bad news i mean this guy wins michael beard michael's an extremely successful racer that puts on races and doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities anymore so you know that list again just goes on and on and on and yes they are that that second group is large enough to have its own race by itself and it'd be really really good i'm curious and and i guess you can lump me in now as a as a bottom ball promoter but if we're going to be completely transparent like i'm i'm riding on john's coattails here like we're he's calling me a co-promoter but he's done all of the work and all of the logistics and the, the thought that's gone into making this upcoming race a success i'm curious from both of your standpoints like obviously we're in a interesting time in in our nation to say the least right and inflation skyrocketing gas prices are obviously where most of us are feeling the hits the most in in a vacuum it feels like like i actually had this discussion uh recently because out here on the west coast and what we can expect say for like the spring fling million and is it going to be hurt significantly by the rising cost of getting to the racetrack right and and competing in general and i could be wrong but my argument is i i don't think so like i feel like the market that the fling caters to is less affected by those increases in prices than most right it's a very high high tier clientele right and you couple that with the fact that they're the the borders are open back up for them they're going to get their canada crowd back i assume they're going to get their mexico crowd back like i think spring fling vegas is going to be as big as usual maybe even bigger with that said in a vacuum, it feels like the the market that should be most affected by that, in a lot of ways, would be the the bottom ball racer, the foot brake racer. How concerned are you guys about the cost of fuel, if nothing else, impacting turnouts going forward? 
John, I'll, I'll give you the floor. Okay. Um, I, I've, I've went over it in my mind over and over, and I'm hoping that people have this on their schedule. They want to do it because there's never been something like this in Kansas. And I'm just counting on the people I know coming and the gas prices are expensive, but if you schedule it out, financially budget it out, it's really good to do. It's worth coming. You get a race five times in three days. It's a big bang for your buck. If you get lucky and win something, you, you paid for your weekend. Yeah. So Luke, I'm twofold on this answer. You know, I've got, I've got the world foot break challenge, which are 15 granders in Bristol, July. They're all over July the 4th where people have some time off of work. The kids are out of school. There's so many benefits that allow our racer an opportunity to be there. And then when you look at the race in totality with, you know, the, uh, the venue, you don't have to get a hotel at Bristol. When you come to Bristol and race, if you're a foot breaker, you, you see a lot of tents, Luke. you see them, you see them pitch tents, you see them sleep in the trailer, their showers, the temperatures there in July, around July the 4th at night generally get in the mid 60s it's very comfortable sleeping weather so all of those things and you know the the entry fee is is about what they'd spend to go do a good race for the weekend with hotel and all that so we're i think we're offering some things with bristol's venue that allows this crowd to be big and and it's a social gathering as well so 16 years in, zero concern about the World Foot Break Challenge. Very excited about it. It's going to be great. Then you switch to Labor Day, where the entry fee is $1,000, and it's foot break racing. And we have a rule change that has eliminated some of the crowd with the hand throttles, which we'll talk to John about. I meant the hand controls on the throttle. And, you know, you you got a hundred thousand dollars minimum guaranteed that you're going to pay somebody regardless of the size of the crowd. Uh, and it's September. So or have people grown weary of the expense and the, the, the increase in cost to go racing by that point when a lot of people are talking about winding down their season and, and we're requiring a significant financial investment and, you know, going to pay a lot, have a lot of risk. So there's, there's genuine concern there about that event. Not that we'll, you know, take a beating and go broke, but that it just won't be as successful as it has been the prior two years. And, you know, that'll just get people talking and thinking, you know, it just, it's not going to work. And I want this race to continue. So I didn't try to take that question over by any means, but I do feel two different ways about the question that you asked. I think that's super understandable. And I think it, it lends to a, another interesting, what in my viewpoint is a, is a juxtaposition. I'm interested to hear both of your thoughts on it too, is how much the, the support and even the landscape of bottom ball racing varies geographically, because correct me if I'm wrong, like in your area, Jed, there is very little, like it, it's difficult to find a weekly footbreak event that's worth attending. Like that's the reason that you don't foot break race much anymore, right? The typically yep, yep. the, the foot break races, certainly in your area and to a, to a, a large extent on that side of the country are the, the big money, the kind of premier foot break races. Whereas where John's at, like bottom ball racing is alive and well on a weekly 
basis. And the type of racing that, that he is putting together now with the bottom of explosion is unique and kind of a standalone in itself. Obviously to that end, John, you need local support to make that work. You talked about scheduling earlier. Yeah. Jed, you've got a more established event and, and a part of the country where I think the racers that want to attend that are more willing to travel. So I feel like you guys are coming at this, necessarily coming at this from a little bit different angles. Is that fair? Yeah, it's uh, if you have other people have races on top of this, there wouldn't be near enough cars to be able to pull it off. Will Carroll, he was nice enough not to schedule a race this weekend, and that'll bring in probably an extra 30 to 50 cars, just him not scheduled, because they're not going to drive three hours by Ardmore from Texas to come race at Arc City, and I don't blame him, because price of fuel, payouts ain't that much different. So thanks again, Will Carroll. And then same way with the other local tracks, to get the local guys to come, they will come, but if it's a points race, they're not going to miss their points race. It just, that's, people are loyal to their points in Kansas. Yeah, and, and Luke, I, you know, you're spot on, like big foot brake races in my area of the country have all but dwindled away. Now, Ben Willis at Capital City Motorsports Park has uh, put a 310 granders on his schedule this year for foot brake. And uh, that'll happen in October in Montgomery, which used to be a, a month and an area that, that did quite well for a good foot brake race. So really interested seeing how that turns out and interested in, in attending and competing as well. But for the most part, you have to go from here. You, you either have to go west, you know, six or eight hours, north six or eight hours, or east six or eight hours to find a decent paying foot brake race so um you know why that is i don't know and would i love to see it change absolutely but it's been tried it's been tried many times and the support just wasn't there so uh, i don't blame the owners and promoters for not risking it any longer uh, it was just it just didn't work out for whatever reason well i've got both of you here both uh kind of moguls in the in the bottom bulb world um, I think it's only appropriate to discuss some of the, the hot topics around specifically bottom bulb and foot brake competition. Jed, a couple that, that we've discussed here on the show. Uh, do you want to start with electric vehicles or do you want to start with hand throttle controls? Well, I think uh, hand throttle controls is the, the most talked about topic because it impacts a much larger number of racers. So I'd like to start there, Luke. Obviously, we made the change at Coburg Racing Promotions for 2022 that we would not allow any type of hand throttle control in the car, whether it be electric or manual, nothing to control the RPMs to stage the car with or certainly to launch the car with. So um that had a lot of mixed reviews overwhelmingly i think it was supported and appreciated but there was a, a fairly vocal uh and fairly large group of racers that didn't like it and didn't appreciate it so you know we definitely don't want to alienate anyone or take anyone away from being able to attend our events but uh, our thoughts were that it just went against the spirit of foot brake racing and that variable of holding the RPM steady while you stage and while you wait on the tree to come down is, you know, it takes some talent and it takes some um, composure to be able to do that in, in tense moments. And 
we felt like that was just being eliminated with that device. So we made the change that we made. Uh, John is well known as a no box guy with the trans brake button in his hand and very capable and probably sees a ton of that in his area and very little foot braking, as he said. So not sure, John, did you have the same opinion, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that device. So to be 100% honest with you, I've never even heard of anybody using a handbrake around here. So when Luke asked me about it, I said, we're going to do whatever Big Jed says. If he allows it, we're allowing it. If he doesn't allow it. <laughs> They're going to run the transbrake class. So if you want to do as a handbrake at the, me and Luke's race, you can still race, but you'll just be with the transbrake cars. Yeah, admittedly, our decision was a little bit easier because we didn't have to tell anybody you can't race. You just, yeah. just got to go over with the other guys that are using their hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So obviously it doesn't impact uh, that area of the country very much. And it really doesn't impact the area I'm in either guys. Um, you know, the, the, the group that, does it predominantly is from the northeast and that's where it was invented and i again applaud the invention it was a genius tool and it, it works extremely well for what it's trying to do it could in have the car we overlooked it you know we did overlook it it could have definitely made the sweet 16 but because it, it was a genius a genius invention but nonetheless we just felt like it was better for the, the spirit of our event and what the event was founded on. And certainly uh, we build our rules around our core customers. I mean, if, if 90% of our customers come and told us this year that, you know, they're going to start trans brake racing next year and they're not going to attend any foot brake races, well, we'd have to look at that rule too. So, um, you know, 90% of our crowd is, is swapping feet the old fashioned way. And we want to build our rules to accommodate the, our core customer. Do you guys run into any high gear only cars out your way? Yes. A lot of high gear only cars. Now we yeah. race, we you race summertime. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of them. Uh, yeah. you, you, a lot of, you see a lot of your faster cars out here, John, um, that, you know, have the, the red light isms. So they, they will typically roll it deep and leave high gear only which accomplishes a lot of things, you know, it allows them to hit a good clean spot on the tree and get a good reaction. And then, you know, their mile per hour is ridiculous for the ET that they're running. So there's an advantage there as well. So all of that, you, you see quite a bit of that out this way anymore. I'm not sure what you guys see, but we see a ton of it. That's what I race. <laughs> I think John started a movement in his, in his neck of the woods. Now, Dan Wheeler was probably the first one to really get going with that T-Bird. And his son races now, and they go like 580 to 133. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, we were uh, coming to the summer door car shootout, and there was at least three rounds where his opponent's kicking the throttle like before 400 feet. That yeah, he ran my car, car and his T Bird. Yeah, he right. ran them both. Yep. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I go 580 at 119, so that wouldn't look right at all. And I really don't want to see that over there either. So, so, John, what about what about electric cars? You know, you, you guys are you guys are in a somewhat um, isolated or insulated area for hand throttles and that type of stuff. Maybe the same for for electric cars. But do you see much of that? Number one, and number two, what is your opinion on allowing those uh, cars to compete in these events? We have one Tesla that races 
at our lo local track and then at Arc City. And I, I see it run. It doesn't seem to be like deadly consistent. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not sure. I don't have a problem with it, but you guys might have better experience than I do with it. We get, uh, we get two or three at our events, so it's not a huge sample size, um, but I haven't seen enough evidence to say those cars are uh, incredibly consistent. You know, they might be as good as your average alcohol breathing slick prepared race car, yeah. but I just haven't seen the evidence that, that they are that good and that there's anything going on that makes them deadly consistent. You know, they do have the charging aspect that they have to have. And, and I get the calls prior to the event saying, do you have 50 amp charger available? Cause I need to get 50 amp between rounds. So, you know, how, where all can you race if you're needing a 50 amp charge between every run? That's, that's eliminating a lot of people from being able to do it. So right now we're, we are allowing them, but, um, you know, as that, uh, as that information starts becoming a little more available and we start seeing a little more results out of these cars, that rule could change again. We're only impacting two or three of our racers a year. So it would make sense to make sure we stay, again, committed to our core customer and what the foundation of our event is. And Luke, I don't know how much opinion you have on electric cars. We've talked a little bit about it, but how do you feel about those? Well, I've got a little bit more uh, uh, of a platform, a database to, to discuss this than last time. Just a little bit, though. Uh, just this past weekend at Phoenix, there was a Tesla there. And uh, to kind of to John's point, like, I don't know the racer that was driving it. I don't I don't know his ex his experience level or uh, how much he's messed with it. But just watching from a distance, I was not impressed. Right. That's not to say that you can't make those cars do incredible things. You probably can. Um, but from what I saw, there was no competitive advantage there whatsoever. Now, uh, there are people way smarter than I am on this. I, like we've talked about before, Big Jed, I'm sure that someone with the, uh, intelligence base of a Michael Beard has great reasons not to allow those cars at his events. And maybe that's what it will all come to in the future, but I'll stick to my initial statement in saying that these will be allowed until someone figures it out. And then it's going to be a big problem. Right. So until then, I, I think they're all coming, but somebody's going to pour a lot of time and perhaps a lot of money into this and probably make something better than what we can make the traditional way. And then it's it's really going to be a reckoning. It's going to be decision time all the way around. Maybe Charlie Stewart will build you an electric buggy. There you go. An electric buggy would be cool. <laughs> all buggies are cool. Good point. All right, guys. So it's the point in the show where where we want to get into a little bit of promotion i know that that's not why john's here and luke that's not why you're here but i mean this is a this is a really cool event in a part of the country that is starving for great events that get some recognition across the land and this is an opportunity for for both of you guys if not just one of you to to give us the breakdown on the the bottom bulb explosion and and what racers can expect and you know 
I want to break this thing down. Again, I just talked about Bristol and the facility and all it offers. I don't know if you guys have shower houses or any no. of that stuff where you're going to be, but, you know, maybe there's some local hotels and things that are, are affordable for racers and just some information that helps racers make the decision to come to this event because I really think it's going to be special. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of hit the high points, John, and then I'll let you fill in the, the details and, and what's going to make this race unique. But just for those of you listening, three-day event, uh, April 29th, 30th, and May 1st, Mid-America Dragway, which is in Arkansas City, Kansas. If you're not familiar with that area, that's uh, right on the Kansas-Oklahoma line, essentially, kind of on the eastern side of the state. It's actually more centrally located than you would think. Um, what do you say, John? It's five or six hours from the DFW area. Um, about five hours from dallas yeah how far from st louis probably not all that far probably uh, probably six hours yeah so in that general vicinity uh the main events are saturday and sunday ten thousand dollars to win each day bottom ball only uh trans brake cars are going to be separated from foot brake cars until late in the race uh a lot of fun stuff a lot of extracurricular stuff going on but that's kind of the gist of it and i think the coolest part about this john is that you can lay out the particulars but there's never been a race like this in the state of Kansas. Like this is the richest bottom ball race that the area has ever seen. Correct. That is correct. As far as I know, I mean, it could happen when I was a kid, but I don't remember anything that big. Hey, when we were kids, like two grand to win was a big deal. Okay. Okay. Probably, probably true. Um, so there is about, there is, uh, I think three hotels in Ark city and one right by the highway where you get off. There's Newkirk and all of them are not too far. There's a casino like nine miles from the racetrack when you cross the Oklahoma border. That um, won't appeal to any racers. Yeah. <laughs> Carl yeah. Jones and Wheeler might skip the race and go to the casino. Um, so, so how it'll work is if you single enter for the weekend, that is Saturday and Sunday, 10000 to win. It's $250 entry fee. We will have a Friday bonus race for 2000 to win it's a 75 dollars entry fee you can only single enter the friday race and then um if you want to double enter for the weekend it's 350 but if you double enter you get a free bonus race saturday night for a thousand dollars to win no entry fee if you double enter trying to reward the people to double enter the race we will have a team challenge so you will take the four four entries on your team if you're doubled, the entry that goes the farthest is the one that counts for your team race. It's $200 a team. 70% of what comes in goes to the winner. 30% 30, 30 goes to the second place. So if we fill it up, it could be worth a lot of money. If you have a stock or super stock car and you want to come and you win, it's a $2,000 bonus. If you are a foot brake car and you win one of the Saturday or Sunday purses, there's a bonus thousand dollars to win for a foot brake car both days. Go over my list here. Um, John, if I come out there and foot brake, do I just get in with everybody or is there no, so foot brake and training brake will be called and there's gonna be three colors. So we'll just say red foot brake comes to one and two and three. Tranny break, red tranny break, go to four, five, and six. And we'll do it for red, blue, and yellow that way until we get down later in the race. And then we'll combine the foot break, then we'll combine the tranny break. And then in the quarterfinals, we combine them all together. And if I got a straight shift super stalker or a stalker, who do I run with? 
you know, if you're using a training brake, you're on with training brake. You're on a foot brake, you're on with foot brakers. No, if I've got a stick car, if I've oh, got a stick car? car, I don't know who should they run with. I've never thought about that. I think hmm. ultimately the stick cars are using their feet. I mean, like there might be a line lock involved, but I think that's a foot breaker. Yeah, I agree, Luke. We allow yeah. we allow a rev limiter. That's the only rev limiter we allow. But if a straight shift car shows up at our events, we allow a rev limiter. Well, thanks yeah. for that knowledge. That's what I'll do. I'll write that down. Anybody that has the 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 gall to show up at a big dollar bottom ball race with yeah. a stick, like they should get some type of break. Rev limiter yes. seems like the least we could do for them. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> we have one or two each year, so it's always fun to watch those guys compete. I can motorcycles will be allowed, but they're running with the tranny brake side. Okay. Okay. Interesting. We have quite a few in our Wichita. They get 20 to 30 motorcycles like weekly and they all want to race at it. So I said, come on. So you got two separate classes. They run down to how many before you combine them and mix them all up, John? Quarterfinals, foot brake, quarterfinals, whenever there's eight cars or less, we'll combine. Okay. So racers really can come race with the, the type of racers that they are for most of the event. And then when it's down to that point, I mean, if you get me down to the quarterfinals, John, I don't care if King Kong's in the other lane. I don't care if Luke Bogacki's over there in his buggy with a delay box. Well, I probably would care about that. But anything short of that, I'd probably say line it up and let's get after it. So I think that's a great idea. And you guys separating those gives everybody an opportunity to, to kind of race their type of race and, and then get down to the nitty gritty where it's going to start paying the money. Yeah, if it's 35 degrees outside, though, I don't want Luke Bogacki anywhere near the other lane me because he's going down and I'm probably not. <laughs> yeah. It's a bad buggy. Yeah. It's a bad buggy. One of the things that that we came up with, and when I say we, I mean John, um, in terms of, <laughs> of pairing cars at this event that I thought was super unique, and I'll let John explain it because obviously he's put a ton of thoughts and thought into it. But one thing that I've really grown to despise on the big money tour and and believe it or not like this was this has been more prevalent since i've been out west than than some of the shenanigans that i've even seen closer to home is i like the simplicity don't get me wrong of just hey run who you're beside in the staging lanes and it is easier on everyone but there is a lot of i don't want to duck hunting is not even the right word there's a lot of dodging like there's a lot of shenanigans a lot of uh of uh, uh tomfoolery involved and John's come up with a way that I think is going to deter that almost completely because like, it's still really simple, but it's going to randomize pairings. And I, and I wish that more races, more tracks would adopt something like this. John, tell, walk us through how we're going to do this. Okay. So foot brake will always be lands, ran in lanes one, two, and three. If you come to the lane one, you'll get the left lane. If you come to lane two, you'll get the right lane. If you come to lane three, that's called, I don't care what lane I'm in lane so a guy in the front of the lanes whether it's me or my other guy he'll pull a chip it'll be a one or a two the one if it's a one that guy will go to the left lane then lane three will go to the right lane no matter what lane three is coming out every time it's also a way you can avoid your friends if you guys don't want to race each other come to lane three unless everybody comes there then you won't race them and then if we get stacked in one or two we're using a coin flip to decide the lane not first one out Oh and man, same way I for love the training brake side. I love that idea. That is really cool. And and you know, 
we all like a, a certain lane when we pull up there. But yeah, that's a little bit of an intimidation factor. The, the I don't care what lane I run, and I don't care who I run. I don't want that guy in the other lane. That dude or, or girl is very confident. I, I'm scared of lane three already. So There's that's a swagger a, that comes with the I don't care lane. <laughs> yeah, you there is. It it's kind of like Troy Williams Jr. used this line years ago, and I've, and I've repeated it several times since. But we've all been there when there's – you're just running side by side and somebody good, let's say Troy pulls up to the front of the right lane. And then almost inevitably a couple stack in behind them. And then you get to the point where you don't know who's at the front of the right lane, right? <laughs> Nobody knows who it is they're avoiding, but we're all stacking in behind. And the line that Troy used is, man, I hate when it gets like this. I said, why man? He goes, because at this point you are either going to, you are going to get one of two extremes. The only person that's pulling down here in lane one is either the strong or the stupid. There ain't no in between. Right? <laughs> and invariably when I'm in that position, you know, who comes putting around the corner, Jason Lynch, because Jason <laughs> and said, I run the left lane. I don't give a damn who's up there. In fact, Jason might've been running the right lane and say, you know what, what the hell is everybody afraid of? I got to go see, let's go find out. Just up you know, what's scarier to me, Luke is, so lanes one and two know they won't run each other. So Charlie Lockhart's in the front of one. Nick Hastings rolls up in the front of two. The the man or woman that rolls up in three in the front that says, not only do I not care which one of them I race, they're going to get their lane and I'm going to go to the other one. Hell no. I don't want nothing to do with that racer. That's cool I stuff. I love that idea. I hope Phil Combs comes to Kansas because he is coming to lane three every time. And he's going to yeah. tell them all about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's good stuff. Great idea, John. That's really cool. Yeah, I just wanted to try something different. So we've got the format. We've got the payout. As a racer, I love going to races that racers put on, John. I think yeah. that they have shown to be the better events and and the fact that you share the lanes with the people that are there at the next time they go racing and you go racing i think it just adds some accountability to the promoter and they make sure they go above and beyond what other reason does a racer have that's plenty but what other reason does a racer have to come to the bottom bulb explosion i can guarantee everybody whether they win or lose i will run that race as fast as i possibly can and we will get it done there. Bob Gilmore told me a long time ago, a race has never got over too early and we'll be efficient and I'll run it like a racer would want it to run. I ran enough of them. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get it done. And it should be, it should be a very pleasant weekend for anybody that comes. Hopefully, even if you don't win, you still have a good time. Well, one thing that, that I think is important in bottom bulb races out here, I don't know how relevant it is out there. How are you handling deep staging? We are allowing deep staging. We normally don't, but at this, they don't allow it on their weekly base, but I'm going to allow deep staging for this race because I see it happen everywhere else, so I'm going to do it. Is it get in at your own risk, or is it uh, holding the tree for them? Uh, so what do you guys do? We hold the tree. We We override the auto start and hold the tree, and – you know, if we if we find bottom bulb or, or excuse me, deep staging racers being disrespectful, 
and yeah. not handling things properly, I go have a discussion with them and and ask them to clean that up because it's, you know, it's it's it is doing something that the timing system should take care of, in my opinion, for foot mm-hmm. brake racing or bottom bulb, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't do it where we are, so we we override it. But again, that's uh, that's something I wouldn't expect to happen in an area where you don't see deep staging. We have one deep stager I know, and he is he does a burnout and he goes right up there. You ain't wait on him. So I don't know. I'm not thinking about that. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to No, you're good. You. I just that's good stuff I need to know. Yeah, and you know, it's it's like I said, it's way more important out here probably than it is where you are. Because in a trans break world, really wouldn't be a reason to deep stage. You just chip her up if you're having uh, having some trouble hitting the tree. So chip her up. Put her All about right. five thousand, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's about where I'd have to leave. So hey, I, I did want to I did want to share my personal favorite line on the flyer. And you know exactly what this means. I know exactly what this means, but I want to hear John's explanation. It's the last run, line in the rules section of the bottom bulb explosion. And it is that the break rule is in effect, but the crash rule is not. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's something I handle privately for sure for our break rule, but I, I love that. Uh, I love that wording. That, that pretty much clears it up. Yeah, you pretty much know self. It's, it's pretty much explains itself. Yeah, if you break something, I'll, I'm with you and I'm, I'm here to help. But if you wad it up being dumb, uh, don't come ask. And it ain't even always the person's fault that it's dumb. You just stuff happens. It's, I've done it. I spun one out. I got my Camaro done. With my brand new paint job, brand new motor, I hit the brakes to the finish line because I was coming so fast. I did two 360s and didn't touch the guard or the center line. I got DQ'd, and I just said, thank goodness I didn't wreck the car. Yeah, yeah, I got what you deserve, really, and that's not I got knock on I you. I hit the brakes too hard. That's just the way it is. Uh, what kind of timing system will the racers be racing on? Uh, I think it's AccuTime. Yeah, AccuTime. I like that. That's a yeah. that's a good system for for bottom bulb racing. It gives yeah. you all the numbers, and I think they typically set their starting lineup just a smudge tighter than than other systems. So, is um, ten seconds the standard deal from when someone's staged when the other guy's pre stage Is that ten seconds pretty common? Yeah, it's very common. Ten seconds, and again, um, you know, we we have the ability to, to change that if we want to, but um, I think that's pretty standard in what most people run. I'll, uh, I'll let you in a little bit of uh, inside baseball as to how we do this at the summer door car shootout and, and probably how we will do this at the bottom of explosion to those of you listening and everything that we're going to advertise. It is a 10 second timeout. Okay. Count on that. It's a 10 second timeout. Okay. In reality, John, we're going to set the computer to 15 seconds because we don't want anybody to get timed out. Okay. Because <laughs> we don't want to deal with that. But there's no reason not to be in 10 seconds. So that those of you listening, it's 10 seconds. Get in. Yeah. yeah. yeah we'll, we'll probably set it to 15. We really have, I will have live timing, too, so everybody can watch it. Your families can't come. We'll have live. It's timing and video will be done by Daryl Goheen. It's nothing like spectacular like Motor Mania TV, but it gets the point across. It shows all the numbers, and it shows them leading the starting line and the wind lights. Awesome. Well, guys, sounds like you guys are going to have a heck of a show out there. Uh, again, that uh, that is 
late April, rolling into May, April 29th through May the 1st. Um, I imagine the weather's going to be phenomenal, uh, really good temperatures, a great place to race and a great event put on by people that uh, that know how to keep it fair and keep it efficient, as you mentioned, John. So I'm excited for you guys. I think this is going to be a special event and it's going to be one that gets a lot of attention and support and certainly can't wait to get back here to the show following that and see who the big winners are that we get to talk about. Yeah, it ain't that far. Come on up. You know, uh, Kansas is a pretty good little ride from Birmingham, John. It yeah, ain't went that to far on a plane. 1,100 miles one way. It ain't that far on a plane. If Luke would take his Vega and just roll it out of the trailer, and we'd just say I bought it because I know Luke don't want his cars competing in an event that he's part of the promotion of. We'll just say I bought it, and then <laughs> I, I didn't like it or whatever, and I sold it back to him as soon as the event's over. I think we can get away with that. I don't think anybody believes he'll ever sell that car. <laughs> and they certainly wouldn't believe I had enough money to buy it if he would. So I agree. I'll, there's no way we'd pull that one off. Yeah, I, I'm sure you would win, and I'm sure we wouldn't get accused of having power, tower power. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> What's the number, Luke, to buy that car? Do you have a number? There's not a number. I'm afraid to say one because somebody will want it. <laughs> I always ask Rick Bear about his car. Can I buy it? And I offered him a million dollars. He said no. Yeah. Yeah, he'll win that with it this year, so no point in selling it for that. He'd be losing money. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I didn't, again, appreciate you, John, coming on and, and Thanks for talking, a little, talking a little bit about the race and your story and your opinion on some important topics. And, uh, again, if, if you're listening to this and you can get to the bottom bulb explosion April 29th through the May 1st at Mid-America Dragway, you need to get there. These guys are serious about putting on events. Uh, both of them have done plenty of promoting and they know how to get an event done and get it done well and keep it fun and exciting and, you know, just add their little flair to it. So I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Wish I could be there, but I wish you guys a lot of success with it and certainly can't wait again to hear about the results and, and the great big crowd that showed up. So good luck to both of you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. You got it. Thanks, John. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now. 
for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.